Hi there. In the first run of these 15 podcasts, each episode will be published every Tuesday from noon GMT. Happy listening. Welcome to episode 9 of Dow's Your Way to Psychic Power. Previously, we looked at divining your guiding spirit, your guardian and other angels, and time travel dowsing. In this episode, we look at that most extraordinary of divining skills, map dowsing, and we learn to talk with animals, plants, and, yes, stones, and objects of power in your home. But first, map dowsing. This skill is the first cousin of time travel dowsing. Map dowsing is using a pendulum to locate people, places or substances anywhere in the world without leaving your home. You encountered this in the foreword to these podcasts, which recounted the amazing experience of Dr Elizabeth Mayer and her daughter's stolen harp. No one knows how map dowsing works, but it does. Ordinary dowsing can be explained as the mind tuning into certain magnetic fields or frequencies given off by physical objects. But map dowsing is more akin to a psychic reading where the map acts as a device to focus the mind and the pendulum becomes a psychic amplifier. The map acts as a virtual representation of the city, town, country or terrain in which you need to find something. Learning this skill can achieve amazing results. At one end, a map can be a large-scale ordnance survey grid, or at the other, simply a sketch that represents an area, location or even a room plan. Among other things, Map dowsing skills can be used for prospecting for minerals and gemstones, space clearing and identifying noxious environmental energies, finding lost objects, people or pets, sighting a water well, treasure hunting but not for personal gain at the expense of others, and evaluating a person or animal using a drawing as a surrogate. Map dowsing is mostly about locating things. Once you find them on the map or sketch, you can locate them in the real world. The technique is the same regardless of what you're seeking. There are several common methods used for map dowsing, and here are a couple of the basic ones which you can try. After focusing your mind on your target, clearly visualising it, Slowly slide a ruler or something with a straight edge from left to right across the map or sketch, asking your dowsing tool to indicate when the leading edge of the ruler hits whatever it is you're seeking. Then draw with a pencil a line from top to bottom of the map. Then do the same exercise but this time moving the straight edge from top to bottom of the search area and again ask your dowsing device to tell you when you've reached the target. Where the two lines cross is your location. A variation of this method is to run the ruler from opposite corners. 
Another technique is to ask your pendulum to swing towards the target and follow this direction until the swing changes to a circular movement. One dowser I know has made himself a miniature L-rod which points at the location as he moves it around the periphery of the map. When it locks on to a definite direction, he slowly follows the line until the rod swings to one side. As I said, the whole concept of locating something by dowsing a map or picture seems beyond weird, but it works. One of the most dramatic examples of map dowsing is attributed to legendary dowser and inventor of the world's most complex dowsing tool, Vern Cameron, who died in 1970. In 1959, during the Cold War, he was written to by US Vice Admiral Morris E. Curtis, who clearly had in mind the possibility of gaining a military advantage over the country's adversaries. In his letter to Verne, Admiral Curtis said, I'm advised you believe you may be able to tell the location of all submarines in the world's waters and their nationalities by a technique which is called map dowsing. The Admiral then suggested Cameron demonstrate his prowess, quotes, at a place of your choice on the West Coast. Cameron accepted the challenge with alacrity and proceeded to shock his military audience by identifying the whereabouts of every single US submarine on a world map. He then went one step further to do the same with the Soviet submarine fleet. He was subsequently sent home by tight-lipped officials and only found out belatedly that his passport had been rendered invalid and he'd been designated a security risk and therefore banned from leaving the country. Let's move on to another extraordinary aspect of dowsing, talking with animals. No, you're not about to become the children's fictional character Dr. Doolittle, who could speak to animals in their own languages. But yes, with your dowsing tool, you can connect mind to mind with your pet companion. And this is how you do it. Put one hand on your pet to make the connection between your energies and use the other hand to control your dowsing device. Probably the pendulum is the most appropriate, but you could use an L-rod. Remember, for results that are terrific, it pays to be specific. So be very careful how you word your questions. Your biggest challenge will be to adopt a really neutral mindset because you're likely to feel emotional about your animal. Adopt a detached interest. Separate your emotions from the job in hand. Try to think as you douse, I don't know and I don't care. I'm open to whatever the answer is. Say the animal is your pet dog, Daisy, and she seems to have a painful and stiff leg. Is it arthritis or a sprain? Is it a joint problem? Or could it be a torn ligament? To get to the root of the issue, you need to phrase your question to drill down to the central cause. Swinging your pendulum in the search position, you might begin by asking, is Daisy's limp caused by a physical problem? It might seem obvious that it is, but there could be an emotional or mental cause behind it. If the answer's yes, 
start the process of elimination. Is the cause of Daisy's limp skeletal damage? No. Is it muscular? No. Is it connected with a ligament? No. Is the problem with her foot? Yes. Has it suffered a recent trauma? Yes. Did it happen while she was out walking? Yes. Are all the pads affected? Yes. Are the toes injured? No. Is the damage permanent? No. So, it would seem Daisy's hurt her foot in some way as she scampered about in the undergrowth. You can then address Daisy directly. Daisy, did you put your foot awkwardly down a rabbit hole? No. Did you catch it in some branches in the bushes? Yes. As a responsible dog owner, you'll now examine Daisy's foot carefully and note if she flinches when you hold it. You might then decide to confine her to gentle exercise and see if nature heals her. Or, if she's in obvious pain, you'll take her to the vet for treatment. If you begin to use dowsing regularly with your animal friend, you'll certainly improve your understanding of him or her and you'll have a more harmonious relationship. You may save money too if your dowsing tells you it's not serious and will correct itself if treated lovingly at home. As with animals, you can talk with plants too. Just because they don't scamper about and appear to respond only to environmental conditions doesn't mean that they don't have a kind of intelligence that you can tap into. In fact, former FBI employee Cleve Baxter Jr. caused a sensation in America when he proved that plants could read his mind. Baxter, who died in 2013 at the age of 99, was America's foremost expert in the polygraph, the lie detector, which works by measuring the electrical resistance in a human being's skin. During a boring day at the office in 1966, he connected the electrodes of the machine up to one of his philodendron plants to measure the time it took for water to reach the large leaves. He noticed that the plant was measuring what, in a human subject, would be classified as excitement. He then tried different things with the leaf that had the polygraph electrode attached, even sticking it into a cup of hot coffee. The plant showed no other reactions and even seemed to be getting bored. Baxter, too, was getting bored with the experiment, but decided to do one last dramatic act. He would burn the leaf. He didn't have any matches, so he left the room to find some. When he came back, he noticed the plant's readings jumping all over the chart. Baxter was astounded but he concluded that just the thought of burning the leaf was enough to throw the plant into a state of fear. A variation on the experiment proved the plant would sense the intended assault whether Cleve was in the next room or even miles away. The process was performed numerous times by different people and the same results were happening, although, after time, the philodendron began to realise it was just a test and wouldn't really be burned. There followed 36 years of research 
which culminated in Baxter writing a book about his experiences, which became a world bestseller. He'd termed a plant's sensitivity to thoughts primary perception, and entitled his book Primary Perception Biocommunication with Plants. Perhaps an even more important revelation that emerged from Baxter's later experiments, which he details in the book, was that it's not only plants that respond to our emotions and intents. So do severed leaves, eggs, fertilised or not, yoghurt and human cell samples. He found, for instance, that white cells taken from a person's mouth and placed in a test tube still responded electrochemically to the donor's emotional states, even when the donor was out of the room, out of the building, or out of the country. He stumbled on this new dimension to biocommunication when he poured boiling water down the sink. His plant seemed to react again. What could hot water going down a sink have to do with a response from his measurements of the philodendron? It had to be that live microscopic organisms in the drain were being killed by the hot water and the plant was reacting in sympathy. He was astonished that bacteria could emit signals that could be received many feet away by another life form. These discoveries opened up a new paradigm in science, ecology and healing. We dowsers don't need a polygraph to communicate with our houseplants, veg patch or rose garden. The humble pendulum will do nicely. <clears throat> Gently touching the pot plant, you can ask, is this the best place in the room for you to thrive? If the answer is no... Either ask your pendulum to indicate the direction of the best location, it'll swing back and forth pointing the way, or you can hold one L-rod in the search position and turn slowly in a circle until it sticks in one direction, and then follow it until it swings sideways, as if it was crossing with its invisible partner. That is the position in the house where your pot plant will thrive best. You can repeat this exercise in the garden for your outdoor plants. If a plant is looking sickly, you can ask it, what's wrong? Do you need water? Am I overwatering you? Is there too much shade? Is there too much sunlight? Are you being suffocated by other plants nearby? If your mind is in a state of relaxed concentration as you douse, you'll get the right answers and your garden and houseplants will flourish. And our subject doesn't need to be living for us to dialogue with it. Yes, you can even talk to stones. And the idea's not as mad as people might think. Remember, according to the Big Bang Theory, we all came from the same original source. So, we're all interconnected. Later, as nothingness began to coalesce into atoms, those atoms became different things. Dinosaurs, insects, fish, birds, animals, people. And as the famed double-slit experiment now demonstrates, the smaller constituent parts of atoms, particles, have a consciousness. Every atom is conscious. Just because some of them may be inert as part of a rock 
does not mean there's not some form of intelligence there. And the posh word for this is panpsychism. And it's this intelligence that we tap into when we douse. To help you communicate in the most effective way, here are my top tips for dowsing at, say, a sacred or megalithic site. 1. Quieten your rational mind. If you try to make sense of dialoguing with the stones, you won't. 2. Tune in to the consciousness of the stones and allow it to interact with yours. 3. Be aware, but don't analyse, how you feel on an emotional level. Then, as you move about the site, ask whatever questions you feel appropriate. For example, when was the site built? What was its purpose? Religious? Ceremonial? Astronomical? Other? Do the stones retain their power? Does water run beneath the site? Does this feed the site's energies? What energy lines run through and around the site? Do the stones communicate with other sacred sites? Can the stones help me? Can I help them? Is there a special spot for me to stand today? Is there a special stone ready to feed its energy to me today? What message is the stones communicating to me today? Do the stones have a healing purpose? Can they help me with my healing purpose? Is there anything else of interest for me to find? If so, show me where. By the way, always ask permission of the spirit of place or the guardian of the site before you enter or do any work. And remember, protect yourself in the usual way. Earlier, we talked about geopathic stress, and I mentioned one contributor can be something called a power object. This can be any item, a ring, say, or an ornament, a vase, a book, painting, stone, an item of clothing, or anything that can be touched. It's something that contains energies transmitted to it by a life form, usually a human being. Gifted psychics known as psychometrists, can read the information held by the object sometimes hundreds of years after the information was impressed on it. Sometimes the energy held by this power object is malevolent and can infect a home or office with bad vibrations, causing bad luck, illness, disharmony and unhappiness. I had a telephone call from a woman who'd been beset by pains in her stomach for no apparent reason. Her doctor had sent her for tests and all proved negative. In desperation, she called me to see if I could douse what the problem was. I did, and then asked her, Have you recently brought an item into your home that wasn't there before? No, she replied, nothing at all. My pendulum told me there had been something, so I asked her if she was sure, and to think back. Oh, she eventually said, there is this antique ring I bought at an auction a few weeks ago. I'm wearing it now. I asked her how long ago her pains had started, and it turned out they had begun shortly after the auction. So I doused again. Take the ring off, 
put in into a drawer and see what happens, I suggested. A few days later, she rang to say the pains had cleared up completely. The previous owner of the ring had unwittingly transmitted the signature of her suffering onto the ring and it was being picked up by the later wearer. I then remotely cleared the resonances, neutralising the ring's energies. The woman moved to Scotland and, as far as I know, had no further health issues with her stomach. Coming up in episode 10. How do power objects become power objects? And how your body can tell you who is lying to you? Don't forget, if you can't wait for the next episode... All the stuff I'm covering here is in my book, Dows Your Way to Psychic Power, available on Amazon or any online retailer. See you at episode 10. <laughs>